I'm excited to bring the word to you, and so I hope you would open up your Bible or click open your phone to Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll notice here that this text talks about light, walking in light. And it's interesting, as you consider the topic of light, this is a two-edged sword for me when I think of this concept of night lights. So a night light can be a source of great comfort, and it can also be a source of great annoyance. For me, it's a source of great annoyance. It's amazing to me how the internet router, the little blue light, can shine right through our room, and it is just like beaming glory all over the room, and I'm like, this is not going to work. And so every night, you can ask Heather, I put a towel over that thing, and I, I just because I want it pitch black as much as possible. And so light to me in that context is not a really great thing, but it is a reminder of the positive that just a little bit of light can go a long ways can shine brightly. Now, I'm very grateful for these motion-sensitive lights that she has set up in our bathroom so that, you know, given the fact of just who I am and how old I am, I guess uh, I find myself getting up at night, and I'm glad for light at that point, but not so much when I'm trying to go to sleep. You know, I was thinking about how most people get afraid of the dark or struggle with fear of the dark, and so I just thought I would carry over a theme. If you weren't at Bible conference this week, I, I understand. You could have watched Rand Hummel talk about all these phobias. And so I'm just playing off of his uh, phobia list. Nyctophobia is a phobia of fear of darkness. And uh, this, like many other fears, are psychological terms given to things that cause people to stop functioning in a way that would be productive. Uh, John Mayer, PhD and author of Family Fit, Find Your Balance in Life, Fear of the Dark, he says, is very common among adults. It's estimated that 11% of the U.S. population is afraid of the dark. So nyctophobia is an extreme fear of the dark or darkness that can cause intense symptoms of anxiety and, and depression. It's interesting. I'm not sure how, Heidi, you communicated this to Maddie and Izzy but she had this statement that says, I'm not afraid of being in a dark room, but I'm afraid of being in a dark room and finding I'm not alone. Let me try to say that again. I'm not afraid of being alone in a dark room. Sorry, Heidi. I'm afraid of being in a dark room and finding I'm not alone. Okay, good. Great. You get the point. We can grow nervous and anxious about things we can't see. And why is the Apostle Paul bringing our attention to this concept of light? Well, we have to consider what we've been going through together, and I say this at the beginning of these sermons because I want it to be ingrained in you that we're just following Paul's letter, and his first three chapters are richly theological, and when we look at chapter four, he start, starts to talk about walking, and so he talked to us about walking in unity. Look down at your Bible at Ephesians chapter four, and you'll notice he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of your calling. And so he starts to talk about what that looks like, and it speaks to unity. And then he says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk in verse 17. They're futile in their mind. And then he turns the corner in verse 2 of chapter 4, and he says, walk in love. And he's not done talking about how to walk, so he helps us see in verse 8, walk as children of light. And then, of course, he's not done because he then says in verse 15, look how you walk carefully, walk not as unwise but as wise. And so next week I'm going to talk about the wisdom, walking in wisdom. 
And that's just a general concept, and we're going to apply it to walking in wisdom in marriage, walking in wisdom in parenting, walking in wisdom at work, and then finally walking in wisdom as we consider the spiritual battle that we're under. But right now, we're looking at the light concept. And I want you to think about how a little bit of light goes a long way in a very dark place. Two simple points for you to consider, and you can download those notes if you want to on pbcpowdersville.org, but I want, you to encu- I want to encourage you to know who you are. And, and Pastor Bill brought that up in our worship beginning part. He talked about the difference between walking as, as one who's in darkness or walking as one who's in the light. You need to know, and I need to know who I am, and then I need to know what I need to do with who I am. It's an identity thing as we're working our way through it. So let's start with this idea of knowing who we are. We find out in verse 8, in fact, why don't we read this passage just one more time, starting in verse 7, because that's how it goes together with the therefore. So Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, 5, verse 7. Therefore do not become partners with them. There's a contrast to those who are sons of disobedience, as we find in verse 6. Don't partner up with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think it's fascinating to me as I consider verse 8. He doesn't say, and you were at one time walking in darkness. He just flat out says, you were darkness. That's an ID, a classification of someone who is not light. It's the opposite of being light. It's being dark, which is a problem. So let's consider what Paul has already told us in the book of Ephesians about what it means to be one who is characterized as darkness. We're enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I'm not just making that up because that's a nice slogan to say. It's actually in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Don't walk like this. And it goes on to talk about following the course of this world, that's worldliness, following the prince of the power of the air, that's dealing with the devil, and the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. And it talks about the passions that flow out of us. That's our flesh. That's who we once were. Notice another characteristic of who we once were. Don't be like the Gentiles who were depraved in their thinking. And that's in chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They just don't get it. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, I do believe Paul, when he's preaching this or writing this, he's alluding to the fact that it is possible for a believer to think in a way that is very similar to an unbeliever. But that's not your ID. That's not your characteristic. You have a new heart. You have, therefore, a new mind. And you can think differently. But he says, don't be darkness, be light. And what does light look like? Well, light is beautifully laid out for us to be children of light. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, I just got done reading verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2. It goes on to talk about this great contrast. But God 
who is rich in mercy, by his great love with which he loved us, he set us free, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So the first characteristic of someone who is walking in the light is that they have been converted. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself the question, am I darkness or am I light? Have I been saved? Have I been converted? Do I realize that I was once enslaved and once depraved, but now Jesus has made a way for me? And I want to encourage you, hear me when I say this, because I think even in this text, that poem that we have in verse 14 is an Easter song sung in the first century church, which has connotations of a call to convert, to wake up those who are sleeping and rise again from the dead. So there's clearly a need in church for a guy like me to encourage you who claim to be believers, are you really born again? Are you converted? I want to call you to saving faith if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But notice they're connected. And what you need to do in this context is go back and take your Bible and turn over to 1 John, because I'll refer to that passage with you uh, as it relates to light. There's so many passages that Paul talks about light, and John loves to talk about light. And I have these all nicely alliterated. That's intended to help you remember them, right? This idea of being converted, also connected. How are we connected? Look at 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's a connection, fellowship with one another. Now that times seems to imply that I'll have fellowship with you and you'll have fellowship with me because together we share this in common, we walk in light. But actually, I think this text is talking about your fellowship with God, my fellowship with God. If we walk in light as he, God, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's me with God. There's a connection that I have because I am in light. And there's also a cleansing because once we are exposed by the light, we see how dirty we actually are. The light's on, we're looking in the mirror, and we see flaws all over ourselves, and we start to say, I have a problem. And what's the solution? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that great? I love that. So to be in light is to be one who is converted, connected, and cleansed. And it talks about how we can have that daily cleansing, not thinking that we are without sin, but confessing our sins. 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just. He's the one who does it. Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we turn back to Ephesians, we see in Ephesians 5, 8, in that last part, it says very simply, walk as children of light. So I'm simply asking you to consider which one are you? Who are you? Are you darkness or are you light? What characterizes you? The believer has no business in the darkness. He's a saint. He's a holy one, which means he's a partaker of the inheritance of the saints of light, Colossians 1.12. He is a king because he has been delivered from the power of darkness and has been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13. He is the light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8. Do you know who you are? So to illustrate this, I think of the time, and I shared this at my brother's funeral, one of the memories that just sticks with me of being bullied by a kid in the neighborhood named Phil. He would constantly ask me for money, and we would go on our bikes to the, the area uh, like uh, Walgreens to get candy, and we'd get money together from mowing the lawn or whatever, and we'd get 
you know, I, I remember Wrigley Chew, that was my big thing, the, the gum. It's really bad for you, but I loved it. And, and there were these fat shoelaces we'd buy all the time. And I remember having a pocket full of cash, and I'd, I'd ride with my bike with my friends, like Andy Peel Sticker and some other guys, and we'd be driving up there, and there's Phil and his gang, and they stop right at that hill where we go up. Hey, little guy, big ears. They'd always call me big ears. I have no idea why. But anyway, <laughs> they'd say, you got any money on you, big guy? I'm like, no, come here, let me check. And they would rough me up, and they would take the money. And, you know, that really ticked me off. I guess, I don't know if I was scared of them, I was more annoyed. Because later on in the season, the snow fell in the Minnesota area, and I remember going to a sledding hill and enjoying the time, and there's Phil with his buddies. And I thought, what an opportunity And I took a rock, and I put it in a snowball, and I chucked it right at his head. (laughs) Phil wasn't too happy with that. And so he came over and picked me up, and I had that one zip suit with a blue, it was a blue suit with white all the way down. And I remember him picking me up off of the ground, like it was a movie or something. And I thought to myself, I am dead. (laughs) And then I remembered who I was. I'm an Ormiston. You know why I knew that? Because my brother tapped him on the shoulder. My big brother saw what was going on. He didn't know there was a rock in the snowball, but he knew (laughs) that Phil was roughing me up. And he tapped him on the shoulder, and Phil said, what's your problem, man? I don't know if he didn't know Karsten. I'm not really sure, but he did thereafter learn of Karsten. (laughs) And he put me down, and Karsten took care of business. And every time I saw Phil at that hill, because he tried, I said, do you remember my big brother? I'm an Ormiston. And he would get out of the way. (laughs) So my kids probably don't know this, but I'd always say this to them when I'd drop them off, who are you? You know, and I would help them understand that I'm an Ormiston. And that I, I should have told them the story connected to it. So there it is. That's the story. Being an Ormiston is a big deal. And listen, check, check this out. Connect the dots. If you're truly born again, you're converted, you're connected, you're cleansed, you understand that God has a good work for you to do. He wants you to walk as light. You're commissioned. Are, are we living as if we know who we are? Or are we scared because there's a lot of things going on around us that seem to bark at us and tell us you can't do it. Figure out who you are. And then the bulk of this text is know what you're called to do. This is in verses 9 through 14. The first thing that we see is this thing in a paraphrase of sort, and I'm just going to categorize it as bear fruit. This is what you're supposed to do. You're walking in the light. Let me, let me see how you're walking in light. Bear fruit. And notice he gives us the fruit. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light. Now, when I think of fruit, I think automatically of the fruit of the Spirit, right? In fact, some of your Bibles will have that as a, a footnote in there, that it's the fruit of the Spirit. But when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, through 23, it includes love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness. So we do have a connection to goodness there. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Is that what he's talking about? Does he say if you are actually walking in the light, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit? Well, actually, let's just get technical. He's saying you'll bear these particular types of fruit. Goodness, which is generosity towards others. If you are walking in the light, you will have a propensity to be generous towards people around you. How generous are you today? You're generous to the level that you realize the generosity that you have received from God in Jesus. It's gospel-centered. Righteous. This means 
You are one who loves justice, you're equitable, you're fair, you want to do what is right. Do you care about what is right? And the only reason why you care about what is right, you know all of your wrongdoings that you have done that keeps you from God have been paid for by Jesus Christ on that cross. His righteousness in place of your righteousness. And then truth. This is the idea of dependability, sincerity, integrity, truthfulness. I am the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life. If we really know who we are, it will change the way we treat people around us. I love what Paul says in Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him who has raised him from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So are you bearing fruit? Are you generous? Are you doing what is right or fair? Are you sincere? Are you a person of integrity? You might say, well, actually, I don't know that I am. We watched Gladiator together as uh, an older crew, and Commodus has this discussion with Marcus Aurelius, his dad, and he says, you wrote me a letter with all these virtues on it, and I realized I was not, I did not bear any of the examples of those virtues, but I have other virtues, Father, ambition, resourcefulness. And you might sit here and think, you know what, for me, I'm not seeing goodness coming out. I'm not seeing righteousness and truth coming out. And then I go back and ask you the question, which one are you? Are you light or are you darkness? You need to bear fruit. I must bear fruit. The best way for me to bear fruit, if I know that I am light, that I'm walking in the light, that Christ is in me, is I need to look to the gospel and look at what he has done for me, Jesus has done for me, and that will change the way I treat other people. Notice the next verse. Practice discernment. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The word discern here is a present active participle. It has the idea of put to test or to judge to be genuine, examine or prove. What we're called to do as those walking in the light is practice discernment and try to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord. Now this idea of examining is found in Luke 14:19 and another said I have bought 5 yoke of oxen I go to examine them. Please have me excused. So this is the guy that was called to come to the wedding, and he's like, i got to go examine my oxen. I'm going to check them out to make sure everything's good. Here Paul is saying, examine your own life. What are you doing to please God? Now discernment, when exercised by man, can be imperfect, and we know this. Romans 2, 17 through 24, and know his will and approve, this is our word for discernment, what is excellent, or Luke 12, 56, know how to interpret the appearance of the skies. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, could look up at the sky and see it's going to rain, but they were unable to tell what Jesus was saying, whether or not it was true. We can be imperfect in our discernment, but God is perfect. That same word for discernment is found in 1 Corinthians three thirteen. It's perfectly expressed and exercised by God, and the fire will discern or test what sort of work will remain. God will get it right. What we need to do is ask ourselves, how can we please him? How can I really please God? Do you care about that? Romans 12, 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, this happens to be my dad's theme verse. And it's a good verse for you to take away this week if this is all you get out of this sermon today. Try to memorize this, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, 
we make it our aim to please him. Let me say that one more time to you. 2 Corinthians 5.9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul expressed in Philippians 1.9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. There, the discernment is a different word, which means the capacity to understand. So we need to prove it, but then we need God's help in understanding it and interpreting it the right way. I just don't think that we spend enough time as children of light asking ourselves the question, is what I'm doing right now pleasing him? Am I making decisions that really matter to him? I know I make decisions that please me all the time. And sometimes I make decisions that please other people, but ultimately I'm called to please him. And when I please him, it will work its way out in the right way, the way that honors him the most. So are you bearing fruit? Are you practicing discernment in this area of wanting to please God? And then he brings up this term, which is pretty fascinating, exposed sin. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Isn't it interesting that light has fruit, but darkness doesn't? It's unfruitful. It's not good for anything. So don't take any part in it, but instead expose them. The word for expose here has the idea, it's, it's an imperative, which means it's present, it's active. You and I are supposed to do this on a regular basis. It has this idea of bring to light to rebuke or approach We are called, as Paul is saying, to bring to light, to rebuke or reproach anything that is unfruitful works. Now, what's fascinating to me about this is that it says in verse 11, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The other side of this is that we could participate by being silent, In other words, we could actually participate in that which is wrong by saying nothing. Have you ever heard that concept? Because verse 11 says, that's not what I want to hear about you. When you see it, you need to talk about it. You need to expose it to the light. But when you do it, don't use indiscretion. Notice in verse 12, it says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. This word for shameful is to be socially or morally unacceptable. Unfortunately, some preachers enjoy reveling in the sensational so much that their sermons excite appetites and give to the innocent more information than they need. And sometimes that can happen for you and for me. Romans 16, 19, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So when we're called to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, it doesn't mean that we relish in them. And notice when it says, that we are, it's shameful even to speak. That word speak is the word for lego, or it is the idea of report. It's shameful, socially unacceptable to report, to be the first one to share the bad news, for example, of Ravi Zacharias, because it is an astounding revelation that we've all found out about. But you know what would be worse? For me to break down all of what happened. You don't need to know. I just need you to know that he's human and he made a mistake and he is one who's liable for that mistake and we need to guard our own hearts. And it's like the disciples asking the question about the, the uh, Tower of Siloam, Luke 13, that fell down on all those people. You know, uh, did they deserve it? And Jesus says, no, the, the real question is, are you willing to repent unless you perish? Stop pointing your finger at other people and yet calling out sin. Sin is wrong and it needs to be brought out. How do we bring it out? 
we, we shine light on it. We talk about the difference that we need to see in Scripture. When I look at this, I think it could create within us this empowerment to become social policemen and women on social media. And and I know this happens right here in our membership where you hear about an issue, come on, we just got done with the elections, right? And everyone has their opinions about this and that and the other thing. And if you're not careful, you're going to speak of things shamefully without really thinking about, am I doing this to please God or to show other people how smart I am or to convince people of my persuasive ideas about politics, about socialism, about capitalism, about church, about blah, 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 blah. Why are you doing what you're doing? I think actually what's helped me out with this, because I struggled a bit with verse 14, and I I know I'm not there yet, but we're going to get to verse 14 because it's it's a hymn. And here's what I struggle with. I struggle with the fact, I have heard all along growing up that um, worship on Sunday morning is for the believer, and it's to equip you to go out and, and reach the unbeliever. But what really kind of bothered me was the fact that this is the first occasion where I find a song that is so gospel in its orientation. It's calling people to wake up and to come from being dead to being alive, and so if that's the case, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Maybe really what's going on here is there is, a, there is here a loophole where we're supposed to use our services to reach unbelievers as well as minister to believers, right? So as I wrestled through that a little bit, I thought to myself about that thing I say all the time in, when I teach. When you don't know what in the world's going on and you're struggling through something, ask this, yourself the question, what's the context say? The exegetes cheer, right? Context, context. Yay, context. And what do we find in our context? As we turn the corner in chapter 4, we see that Paul is talking to believers. I want you to know how to walk worthy of your calling. He talks about the contrast between the Gentiles and the believers. I think what Paul is showing here is an opportunity for us to expose darkness within the context of the local church. I think really what he's alluding to is an element of church discipline. If we know of things that are shameful within our membership, we need to speak up about it. And how do you speak up about it? According to Matthew 18, you go to that person first, one-on-one, repetitively. And if that doesn't work, you take two or three with you, repetitively. And if that doesn't work, you tell it to the church, which to be very clear for you, what that means is if you know of a situation like that, come let all any of the pastors know so that we can walk alongside of you and determine whether or not to bring it up to the church so that the church can pursue that one. And I think Paul is saying here, we need to walk in light and we need to expose darkness. And I think the context is related to the church. And how does that help my whole hymnology thing? Well, it helped me understand this that I know as I'm preaching this morning, both this service and the next service, that I'm not talking to only believers. I know that there are some out here who have chosen yet to believe. You, you haven't quite bought in yet. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that you would buy in, that you would accept Jesus as your Savior. But my primary focus is not to preach at unbelievers, it's to encourage the body of believers. I think that's what Paul is doing here. And notice that all of this leads us to what it means to each of us. It's he turns the corner in kind of an encouraging way, depend on divine enablement. But anything is exposed 
by the light, it becomes visible. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now, that's a common sense theme, right? You turn light on something, you can see it. It gets a little trickier when he kind of reverses the order for anything that becomes visible is light. So he seems to bookend this idea of light, light, and visibility. So visibility is the middle section. Light is on each side. And I think the point is, as we look at it, and I was trying to explain it, and so this is the best I could do. If you had a John MacArthur study Bible, he makes this statement, and I agree with it. He says this phrase should probably, the phrase in verse 14 a, is better translated for it is light that makes everything visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. The pure and illuminating light of God's word expresses all the secrets of sin. I think what we see here is we need to depend upon divine enablement in order to take that next step forward to have light that's coming from an outside source, which is God, who is light, shining through us so that it can expose the darkness that we see. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. In this divine enablement, I think it is in context of basically two different ways. I see it in areas of our own sanctification. We need outside source to help us And how we do it is we focus not on darkness, but we focus on light. Light is the central concept. Light makes things visible. Light is what bookends this. The center thing is what is visible. God sees right through us. What do we need? We need light. I think of John 3, 20 through 21, and I found this as interesting as I studied out what it means to have light and how it's connected to the Trinity. Notice this, God the Father, he is the revealing source of power. He reveals the power to be set free and walk in light is from God. John 3, 20 through 21. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God is the one who empowers our sanctification. The purity is the result of Jesus Christ, as we've already looked at in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So God empowers it, Jesus makes it possible, and then we find the revealing source that where we can see what is light. First, uh, Psalm 139, 23-24. Search me, O, o God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. How do we know where to find out what's going on in our hearts? Through the word of God, illuminated by the spirit of God, because the word of God, spirit of God always go together. Again, I, I encourage you with this thought that divine enabling is necessary. It's not enough for me to say, you stop walking in the darkness and start walking in the light. And you're like, okay. Like, that's not going to work. You have to say, I, I can't do this anymore. God, empower me. Jesus, thanks for making it possible. Holy Spirit, thank you for guiding me through your word. I depend upon you. And then this call for salvation. I think there's a call for salvation. Therefore, it says, and this is what's interesting to me, because if I ever see the phrase, therefore, it says, it indicates it's been written before, Right? So you cannot find one Old Testament text that tells us all of these things, but that first, Awake, O Sleeper, is connected to several passages, which I have in your notes. Isaiah is the the primary one, Isaiah 51, 17, 52, 1, 61, and then Malachi 4, 2. This idea of wake up, 
And, and so it is true that Paul is saying, you're sleeping, you need to wake up. And this next phrase, arise from the dead, comes from Isaiah 26, 19. Arise from the dead indicates that you were completely darkness. But now I'm calling you to wake up from the dead. And then he finally says, and Christ will shine in you, which is more of this picture of Luke 1, 78 through 79. I'll put it to you in another way. Bible knowledge commentary, the introductory formula, therefore it says, seems to indicate a quotation from the Old Testament, but it's difficult to identify unless it's a combination of passages. Possibly it's a quotation from an early Christian hymn. And wouldn't that be an interesting study? Go and look at every time the Apostle Paul or Peter refers to hymns throughout the New Testament as it would speak into our worship here at Palmetto Baptist Church. A believer who has committed deeds of darkness is to wake up and rise from the dead since he was involved with the deeds of the evildoers. Christ shining on him speaks of his approval, an indication that he is discerning and following what is pleasing to the Lord, Ephesians 5, verse 10. And then I stopped and I thought to myself, why is Paul talking about how to walk all the time in Ephesians? Why is it walk in unity? Don't walk like the Gentiles do, you know, in the futility of their minds. Walk in love. And then why does he turn the corner and say walk in light? You know what it dawned on me? Can you think of an occasion when the Apostle Paul was busy doing what he thought was the right thing to do, and he was walking, walking, walking. That's what that Greek word means. I'm just doing my thing. And all of a sudden, light shone on him. So let me give you this from the free Bible illustrations, freebibleimages.org. You have a guy who was righteous in his own thought, who was there at the foot of Stephen and in the martyrdom of the first Christian. And he thought he was completely righteous in what he was doing. He was influencing crowds of people. He took information about where the way would meet, the believers would meet, and he found out that they are in Damascus. So he said, I'm going to go to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, a light shone on him. And if you look at the occasions that you see the example of the conversion of Paul, you'll see it in Acts 9, 1 through 9, 17 and 19, Acts 22, 6 through 16, Acts 26, 12 through 18. All of these passages refer to the amazing wonder of the light. And as a result of that light, he had scales that came over his eyes so that he could not see. God arranged for him to be confronted and encouraged by Ananias. And Ananias showed him the way so that he eventually had sight brought back to his eyes so that he could see and he could walk in the light. I think this is an example of what Paul wants us to get. I don't think Paul ever got over his conversion. And so let me ask you a question. How did you come to Christ? Could you talk about it? Are you excited about it? Or is this like, yeah, whatever. That is one way you can discern, I'm helping you, to please him. Refresh how you came to Christ and share that with those around you. Make it come out naturally. I think Paul was impacted by this, and he knew that he needed divine enablement in order to go forward. So here's my application for you. I want to ask you the question, are you bearing fruit of one who is walking in the light? So I know this may seem odd, but look for a shadow. Like, if you're in darkness, if you are darkness, no shadow. 
But if you're in light, you're going to see a shadow. And how is that shadow demonstrated? I think through the fruit. You're going to see shadow through the, the, the fruit that you have, the, the aspects of the fruit that we've looked at, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And make no mistake about it, Paul was very clear, you're either one or the other, you're not both in. You can't be a combination. He mentions in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1, a list of sins that are practiced. And then he makes this beautiful statement, but such were some of you. And where are you in that? Are you bearing fruit? Do you have a shadow of the light? Are you focused on pleasing God above all else? What area in your life could you practice discernment when it comes to your, please, your pleasure of God? You know, um, at different points when I was jotting stuff down, I was thinking about, let's return back to the old ways that we've always known that we need to please God. Let's consider some new ways. What are some old ways? Reading your Bible, right? On a regular basis. Another way to please God is to pray. And actually jot down prayer requests and prayer answered. Another way is for you to shine as light and to share the gospel with those around you. Another way is for you actually to be a generous person who is sincere about what he he says and does and is one who is willing to do that which is right. That's bearing fruit. How are you doing it? These things please God, and by his power and through his grace, they're all possible. So go back to those old ways and then learn of new ways. I mean, enjoy this idea of studying through the book of Esther in our community groups and learn of new ways to bring pleasure to him. The final one that I want to encourage, actually, I've got two more. Are you willing to stand up and appropriately expose sin around you? I do think the exposure here is referring to not our job to tell all of the unbelievers how bad they have it and how they get it wrong, but to proclaim the truth. Let that be our witness. But when we're in the church, we need to be willing to say that's wrong. And I'm not telling you that's wrong because I'm perfect. No, I'm far from perfect. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible is perfect. It's without error. It is absolutely authoritative. And if the scripture says something, we need to follow it in humility. And we need to encourage our church family to have purity. Maybe you know of a situation that's going on right now in the membership of our church, kind of quietly in the home, that is inappropriate. And, And maybe it's not even a married couple. Maybe it's a single person who's struggling and they're growing defiant. Do you care? Are you willing, like Jude, to snatch some out of the fire? I say frequently, let's not just go about the business of having church. Let's actually engage. And then finally, are you willing to appropriately expose the sin within yourself? Oh, it's easy to point out the flaws of others, right? I can take that toothpick out of your eye, man, but the beam in my own eye, leave that alone. No, I need to be willing to ask myself the question, am I truly converted? Am I truly connected? Am I cleansed? And am I commissioned? where I am one who is willing to please him to bear fruit. I've given you a lot to think about. Um, maybe, again, I come back to that concept, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, make it your aim to please him. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you to 
do your work in our hearts. Thank you for that divine enabling. Thank you for the clarity in which Paul communicates the call for the believers in Ephesus to walk in light. Help us at Palmetto Baptist Church to choose to follow you in that. God, I pray that you would expose our own sinfulness. Thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to give back to God what he's called from you. Talk to him right now. Cry out to him in prayer. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the testimony of Paul. Help us to relish our own salvation testimonies and help us to view you as the most important person to please in our own lives, in the life of our church, in our community. Guide us as we seek to follow you and thank you for that enabling that makes it possible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, we're going to wrap things up, but I'm going to ask Pastor Walton to come on up here, Gary Walton to come on up here, and he's going to share just a little bit about Harvest Ministries and some opportunities there, and then Pastor Josh will come and conclude the service. Just the arrow, yeah.